Bookaholics. Coach Spins here from the Box and One, bringing you Big Board 3.0 over on the Box and One podcast feed. This is meant to go with a video as well, so if you get a chance, head on over to the YouTube channel and check out Big Board 3.0 over there. But for now, enjoy this audio-only version. Hello, Hoopaholics. Coach Spins here from the Box and One. Excited to be bringing you an update to our big board here. It's Big Board 3.0, and really like the timing of this one. We're heading into the NBA Finals now. We've had a couple of weeks to digest what has all happened with the NBA Draft Combine, and the draft night itself is going to be here before we know it. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe here to our YouTube channel for a lot more NBA Draft-related content. And before we dive into our full top 30 right now, let's look at some honorable mentions who just missed the cut. At number 30 for me right now, Rayon Rupair, the 6'6", maybe 6'7", wing for the New Zealand Breakers, boasts a 7'2", wingspan, and uses every inch of that length on the defensive end of the floor. As an 18-year-old and a teenager playing in the NBL, he was able to gain a starting role with New Zealand Breakers who made it all the way to the NBL Championship. There's a lot of high character tools he brings to the table. His length, defensive athleticism are all big parts of his game. Now offensively, there have been flashes of catch and shoot ability. Grew up playing a guard spot, so it looks like there might be some upside for him to create with the ball in his hands, but really raw and unrefined on the offensive end of the floor right now. He's a multi-year project, but his defensive upside and all the intangibles he brings to the table make him the right type of guy to buy in on in the later part of the first round. Twenty-nine here is Judah Mintz, the point guard out of Syracuse, six foot three, maybe six four, lead guard, plays with the ball in his hands and is an unbelievable facilitator out of the pick and roll. There's something about the way that Mintz moves out on the basketball floor. He's got an unorthodox movement pattern, is surprisingly quick, but also somewhat strong. There are a lot of things that just make him difficult to guard in space. And I think that he could be a high volume assist guy coming off the bench for an NBA team. Crafty scorer inside the arc, very good with his pull-up jumper from two. He has to work on extending that range out to three, and that's a reason why Mintz might end up going back to school as we are only a couple days away from the early withdrawal deadline. While Mintz is a smaller point guard and those guys don't typically always make it at the NBA level right now, he's a much better on-ball defender than he was able to show at Syracuse, and there's just something about his movement patterns that make him the guy to bet on. I'm not, not quite as high on Bilal Koulibaly as some other people out there in the draft space, but it's easy to see the tools and the upside that he brings to the table. He's about a six foot six athlete who can do a little bit with the ball in his hands, very good slasher, unbelievable athlete, and can turn into an elite defender someday. The shooting is very raw and has to continue to improve. I think Koulibaly is worth more of a late first round draft and stash type of grade, but I wouldn't even be surprised if he ends up coming out of this draft, returning to Europe next year, and solidifying himself as a legitimate lottery guy.
Our first big winner from the Combine makes his way on the list at 27. It's Olivier Maxence Prosper out of Marquette. I've been eyeing him for a while as a potential riser to get into the first round because he checks so many boxes. Six foot eight with a seven foot wingspan, really good and really versatile point of attack defender. He can lock down so many different guys from bigger wings to smaller guards on switches. Can be a really handy player for NBA playoff teams to want to have. Now Prosper is developing a little bit more on the offensive end of the floor. He needs to continue to get better as a catch and shoot guy. Showed some progress this year, made about 34-35% of his threes overall and was better in catch and shoot setting. But if you're drafting Prosper, you're doing so to get a ready-made role player on the defensive end of the floor who knows how to play off the pick and roll, is a smart backdoor cutter, and is at least going to continue to work on improving his jump shot. It's hard not to see the upside with Maxwell Lewis, the wing out of Pepperdine 6'7", with an almost 7-foot wingspan. The way he moves out there as gracefully as he does in space is rare for a prospect. Two-year player at Pepperdine, but had a drastically different role his sophomore year as opposed to his freshman year, and really didn't start playing high-level organized basketball until he was 14. So this is a guy who's your classic late bloomer, continuing to get better at the game of basketball, and went through some growing pains at the second half of the season as in-conference opponents started to adjust and take away him as a primary scoring option. I think Lewis best projects, at least early in his career, is a lot more of an off-ball player on offense. 3 and D, shot maker spacing around the perimeter, but does have the tools in his arsenal to create his own shot. Some experience in doing so, albeit not incredibly efficiently, and some defensive tools because of his athleticism and length combination. Lewis is right on the borderline of being a first-round guy, but his upside is far too high to ignore. That's why I have him 26 on my board right now. The other big riser is Kobe Brown out of Missouri. Folks, I'm in on him. Legitimate first-round grade, even though he's 23-year-old, because if age is the one thing that you would say to hold against a prospect, it's probably not a strong enough case to keep him out of the lottery. Brown made an insane jump as a spot-up shooter this year, going all the way up to 45% from three while being in the low 20s his entire career. I believe that shot is legitimate because of the confidence that he's shot them in and some of the mechanical tweaks he's made. Because of that, it unlocks a world for him to become an impactful role player. Great slasher and cutter off ball, can create his own shot in the half court. Unbelievable passer, has a little bit more craftiness and creativity than he gets credit for. And the passing feel and high processing speed are functional and translate into any role that you'd play him in. Six foot eight with an above seven foot wingspan, strong 245 pound frame. He uses it on both ends of the floor. There's real versatility to adding Brown, who's a great person and leader to have in the locker room. This is that one guy who's a late riser for me and belongs in the first round. Twenty-four. I've got Jet Howard from Michigan, six foot eight, shooting wing. Nothing really changed for me on the eval over the last couple of weeks, albeit I haven't watched a ton of Michigan tape 
over that period of time, but still worried about the defensive consistency and really what position he guards. Out of position a lot, just doesn't have great athleticism to make up for that. While he's an unbelievable shooter and movement guy, and I think that does provide first round value, I would really struggle to see Howard go a lot higher than this, simply because of those athletic concerns and how he's going to hold up long term on the defensive end. Very skinny 6'8", but it's hard to make up for the type of shot-making fluidity that he has shown both off the catch and a little bit off the bounce. This must be movement shooter territory because Jordan Hawkins comes in in that same tier as Jet Howard. I think these two guys are not necessarily interchangeable, but very similar in terms of the areas where they don't necessarily hold up. They're awesome off-ball players. You love the shooting. You know it's going to translate because of the stroke and the usage that they can find themselves in. But I have defensive worries with Hawkins, albeit not quite as high as they had with Howard because he's a little bit more bursty and athletic. He's just not quite as long or as big. I also don't think Hawkins does enough to impact the game on the offensive end outside of shooting. Would like to see more functional attacking of closeouts and getting to the rim. He's a good athlete. He has the ability to do it. He just needs to tap into that more consistently. I've still got a first round grade on Hawkins, but again, not a guy I think I would reach for much higher than the early 20s. On the other hand, Chris Murray from Iowa is a very steady role player, 3 and D type of wing, 6 foot 8 with decent length, and he's a solid, albeit not great, athlete. 40% from 3 back-to-back years on unguarded catch-and-shoot attempts, which I believe he's going to get a lot more of at the NBA level. I'm using that metric to really buy into him as a spot-up shooter. Your very simple role player who doesn't make much fuss, can guard a couple positions on the wing, play off ball, understands his role, and is a very good fit in the locker room. Very safe, solid, secure guy to have in the first round. I think this is probably a good range to have him in that 18 to 25 area. Would be surprised if he fell out of the first round completely because of just how reliable he is. I definitely see the upside with a scorer like Bryce Sensabaugh, one of the most efficient in the country this year as a freshman at Ohio State on a per-minute basis. Really filled it up from all three levels, six foot five or six six. I have him listed as a wing and in more of that position on the combo guard because of the defensive end, and I'll get to that in a moment. But on offense, uses his physicality decently well, has an unbelievable touch and game in the mid-range area. Doesn't quite extend that out to three off the bounce as consistently as you'd like. And for that reason, I don't necessarily see the exact same upside for Sensabaugh to become a number one option on the offensive end that others do. The challenge with Sensabaugh is more so on the defensive end of the floor. He's a great shooter, unbelievable touch, all of those positive things on offense, but I really struggle with him on the defensive end. Doesn't really know how to defend yet and has a lot of poor habits that need to be broken. So the early 20s feel like an appropriate range for Sensabaugh in my mind. A little bit of a drop from my last iteration of the big board, Gigi Jackson, down to 20th overall in this class. Hard not to buy into the tools and the upside that he possesses. Six foot eight athlete with a good, decent frame and an unbelievable growth on the skill perspective over the last year. Has turned himself into a primary option in essentially 16 months and showed that off as a teenager playing in the SEC. 
Jackson has a couple of poor habits and things that he definitely needs to change on the defensive end. He's got to become a better playmaker for others. And he's just got to grow up and continue to mature. That Those are things that teenagers go through while they're playing college basketball. But I haven't felt comforted by anything that we've seen through the pre-draft process enough to push some of those concerns aside and just bet on the talent. Having him a little bit higher on my big board earlier in this cycle was contingent on talent alone as we get closer to draft day. I can't quite stay there. This is kind of turning into that question mark tier. Nick Smith out of Arkansas comes in at 19. This still feels a little bit low to me, but can't quite justify getting him really higher, knowing that there are some risks after what he showed this year at Arkansas. Starting with the positive, six foot five combo guard, really knows how to play off ball, decent cutter. In theory, a very good catch and shoot prospect, even though he didn't knock down shots a ton at Arkansas. Smith is wired to score first, got a very good floater and touch in that mid-range area, and loves to be able to create his own. But Smith also doesn't get to the basket a ton, is not an explosive athlete, settled for a lot of mid-range jumpers, and then didn't convert at the rate he's capable of on those runners or catch-and-shoot shots in the way he's capable. Smith dealt with a knee injury all season long. He was in and out of the lineup. It's easy to excuse a lot of his lack of performance at Arkansas due to situations outside of his control, but it's also hard to know just where to slot him on boards as a result. He is a difficult one to try to pin down. Right now, I've got him at 19. Speaking of injuries suffered last year, Derek Whitehead from Duke remains in this high-risk, high-reward tier that we're dealing with in the middle of the late part of the first round. Whitehead has now had two foot injuries and surgeries that he's gotten over the last calendar year. And athletically, he didn't look the same at Duke after the first one. Hard to know if this second surgery is going to return him to that level or if he's just going to be permanently kind of changed as an athlete and be more jumper dependent as a result. I loved the high school tape from Whitehead where he was a lot more of a three-level scorer. Didn't get to the rim as much as I thought, but was able to finish and convert when he got there. There's some defensive stuff to clean up, though at his size, the tools are really tantalizing. Whitehead's not the type of kid that I would want to bet against, and I still think he has a really high ceiling. I love so much of what Jalen Huchifino brings to the table. Unbelievably mature kid with great intangibles, awesome positional size, and the unflappable ability to take over games and just make the right decision over and over and over again. That really pops on full game watches where he seems to be always in control and in command of the situation, a trait that you look for in your number one option. But Huchifino is not a polished off-ball player yet. He struggles to knock down catch-and-shoots consistently, and he commands a high volume of pick-and-roll reps in order to get the most out of him on offense. But he doesn't finish with athleticism at the bucket, and he hasn't consistently knocked down shots from outside the three-point line. There are just a lot of question marks about how Huchifino is going to justify getting the volume to be one of 30 guys in the NBA who plays with the ball in his hands the most. I love a lot of things about Huchifino, but there are still questions that need to be answered higher than this. I think 17 is a reasonable range to kind of balance out the upside with those concerns. 
16 for me is Leonard Miller from the G League Ignite. Slowly, he's been climbing up my board because it's just so rare to find a guy who's 6'10 and as long as he is with the type of fluidity and ball skills that Miller possesses. He's great in the open floor. There's a lot more of a Swiss Army knife slasher. Got really good touch around the basket with both his left and his right hands. Loves to push the ball in transition. I still think Miller's best trait and what elongates his NBA career is going to be buying into the defensive end of the floor, becoming more of a Jared Vanderbilt type of stopper, somebody who does a great job guarding different types of players and the number one overall option. Versatility on offense and on defense. But the one player from the Ignite that I'm higher on is actually C.D. Sissoko, the athletic wing out of France, 6'5", maybe 6'6", but built like a powerhouse, really long arms, and defends bigger than he is. I fell in love with Sissoko really for the defensive end of the floor. He's a hyper-competitive guy who can take on top assignments, switch across the lineup, and plays with a real physicality and FU attitude. Offensively, Sissoko has more ball skills than he was able to show this year playing off-ball with the Ignite, but did develop his jump shot by 10 percentage points from one year to the next. The mechanics still need a little bit of work, but the progress that we've seen is really promising. Put all those traits together, and I think Sissoko's a middle-of-the-first-round guy. 14 here going with Derek Lively out of Duke. I think we still underrate a little bit of how impressive it was when he was able to do this year for the Blue Devils in the defensive end of the floor, particularly over the final eight weeks of the season. It took Derek a while to wake himself up to that level, but when you look at the production over that time span, he's playing essentially like a lottery pick, if not a top 10 guy. Seven foot one really long arms, great activity on the defensive end of the floor. He is a game changer of the highest order on that end who can switch out on the perimeter a little bit athletically. Offensively, yes, Lively is very limited, much more of a catch and finish guy, particularly this year at Duke. There is some reason to believe that he will be able to shoot it long term, but I don't think that's the reason you draft Lively. He's just a wildly impactful defender who can finish near the basket, and if he continues to grow as a shooter, is a really diverse role player to surround stars with. 13th, I got Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan. Combo guard, but probably projects more of a point in the future. 6'4", 6'5", real long arms. Developed over the last eight weeks of the season to become a primary threat, and a lot of that happened while Jet Howard was out of the lineup due to injury. Kobe took the keys to this team and never looked back. Shows unbelievable flashes as a three-level scorer, particularly with that mid-range jumper. Finished at over 70% clip of the basket that's unheard of for a 6'4 guard. Bufkin really doesn't have many holes in the offensive end of his game. He just needs to do everything on the floor more consistency. And if he can do it with more consistency, he's going to be a starting level guard in the NBA. I also buy into his defense long term. Love the length. Think it helps him for challenging shots, recovering from behind over the top of screens. He's well suited to be an NBA lead guard. Underrated passer. Developed a lot as the season went on as a pull-up shooter. There's just so much to like with a guy like Kobe Bufkin. I think everybody else is starting to catch on, too. There's almost no way this guy falls outside of the top 20. Pristine off-ball shooting form and three-level scoring upside for a combo guard is still very underrated, and when it hits in the NBA, it hits to the highest level of importance. I'm still really in on Keontae George because he shows 
so many of those aspects that could lead to him becoming a 20-point-per-game scorer in the NBA. Decent pace with the ball in his hands, really comfortable as a pull-up scorer, fantastic as a catch-and-shoot threat playing off-ball as well. Just a pristine jump shot in ways that I think he can continue to improve on as he gets a little bit better of an athlete. Now, George is underrated as a ball handler, and I've talked about this before. I think he's better served as a second or third option instead of the first because he won't face as aggressive coverage from the defense. But there's a ton of upside to this guy. He seems like the forgotten man over the last couple weeks in draft conversation. Would urge you to remember, super talented kid, deserves to be a lottery pick. At 11, I've got Grady Dick out of Kansas. Six foot eight spot up shooter, really good on the move, great in transition. Unbelievably consistent release. He doesn't dip the ball in rhythm. He's just very mechanical with the way that he shoots, and it's beautiful every single time. One of the things that I love about Grady Dick is he knows how to thrive in his role. Great at moving off ball into shooting windows, understands the gravity that he possesses, and utilizes that to become both a good off-ball scorer and off-ball cutter. I don't think Dick is a horrible defender. I just think he's going to be a guy who's targeted a lot on the defensive end of the floor. Has some switchability, plays with good effort, but any team that drafts him is going to have to have the infrastructure to protect him on defense. If they can do that, he's definitely a highest order of an importance role player. At 10th, I've got Asar Thompson from the Overtime Elite Program, 6'7", 6'10", wingspan, played as a primary playmaker for them, sharing reps with his twin brother, Amen. Very good athlete, has unbelievable feel for the game of basketball on both ends of the floor. Excellent passer, both out of the pick and roll and in different settings. Awesome defender, knows how to cut and move to play off ball, and is starting to develop as a three-point shooter. I still don't know exactly how to trust what we see from the Overtime Elite program, and a sore is a little bit more difficult of an evaluation for me than a guy like Amen, whose game is completely built off of his physical tools. The source is a little bit different and more nuanced, and because of that, I think it requires a nuanced approach to try to appreciate. He probably can't fit into every offense or system, but there is a lot of upside that he brings to the table, which is why he's still a top 10 guy and more of a high-end role player in my book. Sitting at number 9 still is Jarris Walker, the forward out of Houston, about 6'8", but plays a lot bigger than that, 7'2", wingspan, thick frame, really smart help defender. Just did an entire episode breaking down Walker's game, particularly on the defensive end of the floor, with Caitlin Cooper on the Box on One podcast. Please go check that out here on our YouTube channel. If you haven't already, it'll describe him a lot more in depth. But another one of those guys who projects as a very stable high-end role player, not a high-usage guy on offense, but very switchable on defense, really three through five in high volume, and can do it against ones and twos if he has to. Very smart help defender, positionally sound in ways that cover up mistakes of his teammates. I do buy the shot long term, and if that does stick around for him, he's just going to be an excellent two-way force for years to come. Just ahead of Jairus right now, and a guy that I talked about on that podcast with Caitlin Cooper, is Taylor Hendricks from Central Florida. Another one of those swing forwards who plays the four, 
Hendricks is very athletic for a guy who's six foot nine. Finishes at and above the rim a ton and looked really fluid and comfortable as a spot-up shooter this year. I love the mechanics on the shot, the high release, and I think that his hip fluidity helps him as a shooter and as a point-of-attack defender, where he's going to be more switchable against smaller guys than a guy like Jairus is. I don't know if I feel as comfortable with Hendricks at the point-of-attack on offense as I do with a guy like Jairus just commanding the offense and making plays as a passer within rhythm. But Hendricks has some appealing upside with his raw tools and athleticism, the way that UCF let him create with the ball in his hands, and just how explosive he is as a finisher near the basket. These are both really high-level role-playing guys, and I think Hendricks is deserving of a top 10 pick. But to me, the highest end role player you can have in this class would be Kaysen Wallace. And when I say role player, I mean more of a fourth or fifth starter on the offensive end of the floor. Kaysen has the upside to go beyond that, and most Kentucky guards outperform their draft stock on the offensive end of the floor production-wise. But Kaysen is a ready-made role player on the defensive end who guards one through three with physicality, is unbelievably smart off ball, and has really quick competitive instincts on ball. Wallace essentially played two different roles this season within the Kentucky offense. He started the year as a catch-and-shoot threat, a guard playing off-ball, and really shot over 40% on catch-and-shoot looks. After an injury, he slid over to the one and played a lot more with the ball in his hands. Finished the year with a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio and showed that he can be a creator for himself and others out of the pick and roll. I love the intangibles. I love the effort. I think a two-way player like Kaysen, who's just wired to make good team decisions, is exactly the guy I'd want. At number six, I've got Cam Whitmore, the athletic wing from Villanova. Absolute freak athlete. Very tankish. Unbelievable finisher above the rim, but plays with such power and balance below it that allows him to explode up into his finishes. There are very few guys his age, by the way, 18, not going to turn 19 until after he's drafted, who can initiate contact and still stay balanced off of two feet the way that he does. There are a lot of issues with how Whitmore continues to process the game right now. He's a slow decision maker, a little bit more quiet and reserved of a kid than your normal, natural, gravitational leader that you want to be that number one option on offense. But if he can scale down his game to be really good at playing off of others, utilize his athleticism in the half court in a variety of ways other than just face-up handling or going after the ball one-on-one, and his jump shot continues to stay really strong, he's just going to be too good of an overall athlete to keep out of the lane and to prevent from scoring the basketball. The jumper is the key for him, as well as cleaning up some of those playmaking reads. If he can do both, he's a multi-time all-star. Number five for me is Anthony Black out of Arkansas. Just a winner, a guy whose intangibles pop off the page. Good athlete at six foot seven with unbelievable positional size. I know he's listed here as an athlete, but really is more of a point guard because he loves to defend at the point of attack. I actually think Black is the best perimeter defender in this entire draft class, and that's part of the reason I have him as high on my board as I do. Incredibly intense bothersome over the top of ball screens and fantastic at using his size advantage to contest near the basket. Offensively, Black is a work in progress. 
His jump shot is not very pretty right now, and he doesn't have the ability to score and create for himself consistently in the half court as a result of the lack of a pull-up game. But he's an unbelievably cerebral passer, great out of the pick and roll, played with poor spacing this entire year at Arkansas, and is athletic enough to get downhill whenever he wants. I get being hesitant about Black over the jumper and not wanting to commit to him being a primary at the next level as a result, but he's got far too many boxes that he checks to fall much farther than 7th or 8th during the draft. Here it is, folks. Another change. Amen Thompson is going to be down to number 4 for us right now. He has been surpassed by Brandon Miller on my most recent big board. And this is more about some of the questions of just verifying what we're seeing from the Overtime Elite program, as well as feeling a little bit more comfortable with Miller after thinking about his game the last couple of weeks. Thompson's an unbelievable athlete, really quick stop-start guy who gets downhill, puts pressure on the rim whenever he wants, and then has the finishing ability to punish defenses that are late to rotate, and the passing ability to exploit those that rotate to try to take him away at the basket. He needs to do so much more to refine his game. He's not a perfect defender by any means right now, just relies on his raw athleticism a lot of the time. But man, if this guy can add anything resembling a jump shot, he's one of the most complete, unique, and impactful offensive players you can imagine. I think the upside is worth taking ahead of anyone outside of the top four here. I'm going to be brief here on Brandon Miller. Moves up to the number three spot because I was a little bit more impressed with the defense and the feel for the game upon my most recent rewatch of some of his films. Six foot nine shot maker, very good both off the catch and off the dribble, unlimited confidence. He can play in ways that he didn't get to show at Alabama this year, was more of a mid-range operator in high school, but consistency across all three levels. I still have a couple of concerns about him as an athlete who's going to generate rim pressure, but underrated passer and playmaker, very good rebounder, stayed engaged on the defensive end for long stretches and can guard multiple positions, moves off ball and can be utilized next to any type of star you can imagine. For a lot of those reasons and the team versatility he provides, I have Miller now number three on my personal big board. It's really never been a race for me above that number three spot. Scoot Henderson been locked into the number two spot for me all season long, and keeping him here isn't necessarily about my stubbornness, but continuing to believe in the intangibles that he brings. This is a hell of a competitor, a winner, and a guy whose work ethic is going to rub off on his team, essentially a culture leader for a franchise for years to come. And he combines that with being an unbelievable playmaker with the ball in his hands. Generates a ton of rim pressure both in the half court and in transition. Strong to initiate and handle contact, but flexible to maneuver around it. And he's got fantastic skill as a dribbler with the ball in his hands. Got these huge oven mitt hands that allow him to palm the basketball and have great control over it. Underrated pull-up shooter, he's great in that mid-range area. And yes, he has to consistently extend that out to three-point range. But he's good enough from three right now that teams can't consistently go under ball screens. He will make them pay to a rate that's efficient enough to really counteract that type of coverage. I also love Scoot Henderson as a passer. That's a part of his game that doesn't get talked about enough. The spacing at the G League Ignite may not have been pristine for him. And 
didn't bring out the best parts of his game because there weren't a ton of shooters on the floor there, but still averaged over eight assists per 40 minutes, very proactive at reading the floor. This is the type of guy you give the keys to an offense to and the keys to your franchise to. You don't find them every day. Don't take him for granted. He's number two on my board, and he should be on yours too. Of course, it's really not a race for number one overall by any means. Victor Weminyama has had this sold up, sewed up for a long period of time, and now we know he's going to go to the San Antonio Spurs. I love that fit for them because of the roster construction that they're going to be able to put around him. Weminyama is kind of a, a positionless player. You put him next to different types of athletes in the front court and you make it work. I don't necessarily want to call him either a four or a five. He's just an unbelievable rim protector who could switch out and play on the perimeter if he needs to. It would be unreal to have as a weak side rim protector and shot blocker. Athletically on offense, he's 7'4". You throw the ball up to him and physically he's going to be able to do things that look like they defy gravity that we've never seen before. But the last 12 months have been about him developing as a jump shooter, a self-creator, and a number one option on the offensive end of the floor. He has done so to the rate where he has now brought the Metropolitans to the playoffs as one of the best teams in the French League. I do buy the jump shot long term, want to continue to see it more consistently, but he's an unguardable player in isolation who at 7'4 has a ridiculously smooth and fluid handle. He's an alien, folks. Do not overthink this thing. This is the best prospect I've seen in a long time.